0: one such a joy to be able to look out in the crowd and see so many of you that are here this morning if you're visiting with us we want you to know that you are a welcome guest and that we're thankful that you have chosen to be with us this morning for this period of worshiping together for those of you who are at home online welcome we're glad that you're with us in spirit as as well so it's a it's a great monday may were you were you uh, surprised how may blew itself in yesterday afternoon. I certainly was. I was sitting in my living room after working in the yard all day and I looked out my door. I'd left my garage open, my windows down on my car and my truck, and I saw that wind out there. I thought, oh man, I went outside and my garage is full of dust like you guys it didn't happen to you guys, but that was absolutely crazy, wasn't it? But how incredible is God? How diverse is God that it could be like that? Well, we've done some incredible things already beginning this morning with our our uh, fair, and uh, that's been a, a a great thing there. And I'm going to have uh, Dana come forward and share a few things with you about our ministry fair. Dana? Very interesting
1: this morning. Uh, For our class time, we had the ministry fair, and there were booths set up with the different opportunities that we have, and our our deacons and our ministry heads manning those booths to explain. And I I got to thinking, I uh, had a of intro announcement this morning, and I was going to mention to maybe if our visitors were here out of town, this wasn't what we always do on Sunday morning for class time. That, uh, you know, if you were visiting with us and you went through, uh, we've had some pretty persuasive people at those tables, and you might have got signed up for something. So, just to let you know, we look forward to seeing you again. So, uh, anyway, uh, we have left those tables up in case you weren't able to meet with us. Uh, There are some pamphlets should be back still on the table where the communion is. And it's got a listing of all of the different opportunities of the ministry areas that we have. Some are in booths around uh, the tables in the foyer and then out into the fellowship hall. There are some areas here on both sides and in the back for streaming. If you have an interest in helping out with the work here, I'm sure that the people who are heading up these areas of ministry would really welcome your help, and uh, you can get more information, or if you just want to go by and see what's going on, what the work is about here at Linda Road, or maybe just to encourage the people who are trying to lead that up, that'd be great. We Appreciate your participation in that. Thank you. So uh, Nancy Kelly,
0: you know, she had a table back there for sign up if you'd like to provide meals for those who are, like, have been sick or ill or, or maybe have had uh, babies or something like that, but you'd need a meal. And so she's able to get people to sign up by telling them that they're actually going to be receiving a meal. And... <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, certainly go back there and look at those extra tape, those tables that are back there, as well as uh, some of the descriptions of the ministries that are there. Let me also remind you about your invitation to the grand opening for Ivy Dell's new remodeling on May the twenty-second. Begins at ten o'clock, goes or twelve o'clock, and goes to uh, I think what is it to three. And so you might want to participate in that. Also, let me remind you of our widow's work, our widowhood workshop on June the 4th through the 6th. I want to encourage you all to think about going to that. Whether you are married or, or single, uh, the chances are that one day you might find yourself being a widow or know someone uh, who is, and you might be able to be a good service to them and a blessing to their life. So think about attending that June the 4th through the uh, 6th. So on Sunday morning, I've been sharing with you a lesson by introducing to you the idea of a hero. And I've said to you, as we've talked about the heroes, that generally a person, when they think of heroes in the scriptures, almost automatically go over to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, which is called the hero's hall of, of faith. At least that's why, what I have been uh, calling it. And I've said to you that when you think about a hero, there's, from the world standard and looking at that person, that hero may not look like a hero. And yet they have done some extraordinary things. And so it got me to thinking, well, what exactly is a hero? What is there about a hero that is so so surprising? Well, the answer to that is a common definition. And the common definition is a person is a hero who who is admired or one who has shown great courage. Maybe they have had some kind of outstanding achievement in their life. Or maybe it's just demonstrated a noble character, a noble quality about who they are. And so a a hero might be any one of those things individually or it may be a combination of all three of those that are put together that causes a person to become a a hero and what you find out as you think about heroes is that you know the word hero doesn't uh, fit just a single size but it fits all sizes it fits both both men and women and so it's not just very focal in, in that kind of a thing In fact, often when you think about a hero, the person that you least think would be a hero really is the hero. For instance, there are some pictures that are behind me. To my right, there you see a picture of a fellow by the name of Audie Murphy. He was the hero in his movie To Hell and and Back. Uh, To his right, of course, is The Rock. Uh, He was the hero in a number of uh, Jumanji shows. And then, of course, at the bottom is John Wayne. He was the hero of the sands of Iwo Jima there. The question I'd have with you is which one is the hero in these three? Audie Murphy was five foot five inches tall. The Rock, six foot five inches tall. John Wayne, six foot five, inch, five uh, foot inches tall. Huge guys, all of them, except for uh, Audie Murphy. Who is the, the hero? Well, Audie Murphy really is the hero of this. All of them are obviously uh, movie stars, but Audie Murphy didn't become a movie star simply because he wanted to get into movies. It was because of his heroism back during the Second World War. He was an American soldier, fought in the Second World War. He was five foot, five inches tall, and every, uh, every branch of the service that he tried to join rejected him outright. He didn't have enough weight on him. The army rejected him. The Navy rejected him. The Marine Corps rejected him. But eventually he was accepted. Even though he was a short man, a small man, and certainly under underweight, eventually the army enlisted him, but they really didn't think much of him. In fact, a lot of his drill instructors, you know, they tried to say, listen, maybe this is not for you. Maybe the army is not something that you need to be a part of. So they didn't think much of him as a... A man. And certainly no one ever thought of him as being a hero or having the chance to be a hero. However, he became the most decorated soldier of World War II. He received every military combat uh, valor, uh, combat valor, uh, award for valor that is available in the United States Army, as well as the French and Belgium Awards of Heroism. Murphy received the Medal of Honor uh, for Valor that. Is demonstrated at the age of 19 for single handedly holding off a company of, of German soldiers for an hour at Colmar, a pocket in France, January 1945. That led him to doing incredible things. He went on to, even wounded, to successfully counter attack. The result is the Medal of Honor and a host of other ones. The most decorated person, five foot, five inches. And just a tiny guy, and if you had seen pictures of him, you know, in his original uniform, you'd seen he really was a, a small guy, and yet he was a hero. From a zero to a hero, much didn't give him chance for that, but there he was. As I think about that, you know, your Bible is full of such heroes. You won't find their names written in the Heroes Hall of Faith of Hebrews the 11th chapter, but nevertheless, they are are really are there. And Tyler read to us from verses 32 through 40, and he named off some of the names that are are there. But in verse 35 and verse 36, you find this word others, or you find the word some. And it's interesting because when you look at that, it's right in uh, in the area of a lot of heroes that are there. Listen to what it says in verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting... They're released so that they might obtain a better resurrection, and others experience mockings and scourging, and yes, also train, chains and imprisonment. And it goes on to talk about the other things that they went through. There are heroes in the scriptures; their names are not there. Nevertheless, they are recorded in, in, in heaven. And I believe that that's even true of today. I believe that there are still a lot of heroes around us. We may not think of them as heroes or even see them as heroes. In fact, my guess is, is that if you were to look at those people of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, those guys or gals would not have thought of themselves as being heroes at all. In fact, they would have been fr- surprised to find out that I would call them a hero. And I believe that some of you would be surprised if you were to be called a hero as well. Men and women who were admired because they showed great courage, because they had outstanding achievement, because they demonstrated the qualities of of character uh, that were just there. Maybe it was just a single item, or maybe it was all three of those together, but you'll find them recorded in the Scripture. I also believe that there will be people who will be surprised about many things. On the day of the judgment, I believe that there will be those who thought of themselves as being heroes, only to find out that they were not the heroes they thought themselves to be. And there are those who thought that there is common, ordinary individuals to find out that there actually were the heroes. Heroes and and zeros. And when I think about that, several passages come into my mind. The first one is found in Matthew, the 7th chapter, in verses 21 through 23 where it says not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven But he who does the will of my father who is in heaven many will say to me on that day lord lord Did we not prophesy in your name in your name cast out demons in your name do many wonderful deeds? Didn't we do a lot and then I will say to them depart from me you workers of lawlessness or iniquity I never knew you. They thought that they were heroes turned out they were the zeros. Or Matthew, the 25th chapter, verses 31 through 46, which is the separation at the judgment scene of the goats from the sheep. And in terms of the sheep, Jesus says, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you were there for me. And of course, the sheep said, but Lord, when did we see you do this? And the word when says everything. When did we see that? And Jesus says, to the least that you've done it, to the least of these, you've done it to me. And then to the goats, he sends them into darkness. And they said, when did we not do this? Because when I was hungry, you didn't give me anything to eat. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. Naked, you didn't clothe me, etc. When did we see this? To the least that you didn't do it, to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And they went away into darkness from what well, they thought heroes to zeros. It's so important that we know who we are and what we are to do and how God judges those who are, are faithful, how God judges those who look incredible, maybe not in the eyes of other human beings, but God looks at them and he sees someone that does something extraordinary because of their faith in God. In Luke, the seventh chapter, verses 36 through 39, there Luke introduces us to a conversation that went on in Jesus day look at Luke chapter 7 verses 36 through 39 just want to read it to you now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him so he went to the Pharisees house and reclined at the table when a woman who had lived a sinful wife in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisees house she brought an alabaster uh, of, of perfume and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears And then she wiped him with her hair, kissed him, and poured perfume upon them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. An interesting text when you think about the two different kinds of characters. You have the, the Pharisee, and then you have this woman that he refers to her as a sinner or a person of a notorious reputation. In one of these, one of these two people, there is a surprising hero that is there. It begins by Jesus, uh, Luke tells us, invites uh, Jesus to dinner. The Pharisee's name is Simon. And that day when uh, when a person was invited, there were various customs that were uh, to, you know, a protocol that was to happen in order to honor your guest. It's surprising that Simon would invite Jesus because in reality, most of the Pharisees, they resented Jesus. They resented his teaching. They resented the fact that he oftentimes would talk to them about how their legalistic system did not work in, in people's lives. He threatened their power. And so for the most part, Pharisees resented him. Not all of them, but for the most part, they resented his teaching. They resented Him. But Simon, he invites Jesus to a dinner. And like I said, there are various customs or protocols that were in place. Back in that day, with someone like uh, Simon, he's fairly probably has some money. And so probably his house had a quad in it. And in the quad would have been a place where probably there would be hanging flowers, maybe a water fountain. During the evening, especially for occasions like this, they would have dinner outside in the courtyard. Uh, it would be a place where it maybe be cooler in the evening, but it allowed more people to come to it. And so one of the customs that was a courtesy there was that when a, rabbi, a visiting rabbi was uh, to come on the scene, then almost anyone could come into the courtyard to listen to what the rabbi had to, to say. It was customary to welcome the, the guest. And the way that the guest was welcomed was they would have their feet washed, a servant would meet the guests at the door and would wash their their feet. And of course, to us today, it sounds kind of like a strange thing because we were fully enclosed shoes and socks, but in that day they wore open uh, sandals, which meant that when they walked the dusty streets of the town or the city or the village, their feet would get dirty, their feet would sweat, the, the dirt would get on or the dust would get on, maybe even cake on to their feet. And so they'd meet them at the door and the servant would wash their feet and then dry them off. That was a custom for a guest. Another one was a kiss of of peace. This means you are welcome to my house. I'm glad that you came to my house. You don't have to worry about anything nefarious happening at this house. This is a kiss, a kiss of peace, a common courtesy. Another one was to anoint the guest head with oil. My only thought about that is, is that maybe because of the Oriental sun, the sun baking down upon them, they would anoint their head with oil. Guys like me would be appreciated maybe, but uh, maybe not so much with Charles. <laughs> so I don't know what all that is about, except where I know that it was a custom, and it was a custom that said something. And what they all three said together was that you are welcome to my home. I'm glad that you are in my home. But in every case, all these customary protocols are absolutely ignored. His feet are not washed did not receive a kiss of course uh, this other one there was no anointing of his head with oil none of those things were there which causes me to ask the question okay so why did Simon invite Jesus in well we're not told but I guess we could probably do some conclusions and at least speculate to a conclusion some have said well one of the reasons that maybe uh, Simon invited Jesus was is because maybe he was interested in what Jesus uh, was teaching who, who he was uh, he wanted him to find out more about this this rabbi. Another speculation is, is that well he maybe was a collector of celebrities. When new guys came into town, it was just another notch that he had the new rib, new rabbi, or maybe with a new teaching that came into town. And I was the guy that had him in my house. However, I don't think those are either one good speculations. Simply because of the fact that he didn't receive any of the customs. Uh, He wasn't honored at all. He wasn't made to feel comfortable in Simon's house. He didn't receive the washing of the feet, the kiss, or the anointing of oil. So I don't think it was that one. So why would he invite him? I think it's this third one. He was one of the religious elite and was probably critical of Jesus and his teachings. And so maybe he's hoping to expose Jesus in some kind of fraud. And of course, the woman that's going to come in here in a little bit that we've already read about well, that might give him a cause that is there. That might have been what he was uh, looking for. But I think that his reason for having Jesus is was not because he was wanting to honor him or make him feel comfortable. I think it was more nefarious than, than that. Because in terms of Simon, well, he treated Jesus barely with disguised contempt. That's how he, he treated him and certainly did not make him feel uh, welcome. Question, was Simon a hero or a zero. Something to think about. Enter our hero. Luke chapter 7, verses 37 through 38. Look at what it says if you'll open your Bibles to that section of Scripture. Luke 7, verse 37. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, standing behind him, and his feet, she was weeping, and she began to wet his feet with her tears, kept wiping them with her hair of her head, and kissing his feet, anointing them with uh, perfume. Luke refers to this woman here as a, a, a sinner. Uh, some would say a prostitute. A person of questionable character, if you will. Actually, the word means an immoral woman, a questioned woman. And so there's something about her life that certainly was not right. And yet here we find this woman coming into onto the scene. And as she walks into the scene, she's crying her eyes out and she walks up behind Jesus and she begins to weep and her tears fall upon on the feet of Jesus. And she begins to wipe them with her hair and to kiss his feet and then to anoint his feet with an expensive oil, an expensive perfume. I mean, it's an incredible act of love it's an incredible act of humility it's an incredible act of maybe a thankfulness that this woman is demonstrating to him and so Simon looks at this and he judges and he not only judges the woman but he judges Jesus as as well cuz he goes on to say listen if this man were a prophet then he would know what kind of woman he is allowing to uh, touch him he would know that the person touching him is a sinner that is his judgment of this this woman and that's what he says her. so simon is greatly offended by this woman coming in because simon when he looked at this woman he saw a woman who was a sinner who was not valuable who was questionable in terms of her reputation and not only that that she should be shunned from society she shouldn't certainly be in his house on the other hand jesus when he saw her he saw a repentant sinner a precious soul seeking some way to express her love and her thankfulness to Jesus. My opinion is this, that this woman is a surprise in a lot of ways. Look, if you will, at verse 37. There was a woman in the city who was a sinner, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, she bought an alabaster vial full of perfume. Notice it says she was a sinner. That's in the past tense. That's not in the present tense. That's in the past tense. I think another translation says a woman who had been a sinner. So you're talking about a person who was once seen as a sinner, but no longer so by Jesus, which many say that possibly she had had an interaction with Jesus prior to this event. And now she's responding with thankfulness to the house of Simon. And so she is coming now and she is weeping. Why is she weeping? why is she demonstrating this incredible act well i would say that she's doing so because she's free from something she's free from sin she's going to have to work on her reputation but in terms of how jesus viewed him viewed her he didn't view her as this immoral woman that was without any kind of hope but he sees her as a person of value and he sees her as one who has a clean slate, so I believe it's possible to conclude that Jesus had already met her before, had already forgiven her, and she had come as one of his followers, and that's why she followed him there that evening, and that's why she's showing this act of love toward, toward Jesus. Well, Jesus knows what Simon is, is thinking. Look at verse 40 and following. Jesus answered him, that's Simon. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him the more? An interesting question, isn't it? Which of him will love him the more? And of course, Simon is sitting there and he's listening to all this and probably several things came to his mind. There's a guy who owed 500 denarii to a a person that he owes money to, a lender. The other 50 denarii, if you're trying to figure out how much is a denarii, don't try to calculate that according to modern money, just gonna mess your head up. But understand that a denarii was worth a, a day's wage. So one man owed him, you know, 50 days wages. The other man owes him 500 days wages. One can work it off in a couple of months. The other one is going to, it's going to take him two years to work that thing off. And the lender, he forgives them both. 550 denarii all together, a huge sum of money. And Solomon is probably sitting there thinking, well, all the money lenders I know wouldn't do that. I certainly would not do that. And not only that, why is he asking me this question? Why is he talking to me about lenders and, and denarii and what's going on here? And then Jesus simply asked him the question, which one loves the more? Which it, what is it? Because they both owe something here. And so which one is going to love the more? And, of course, Simon's answer was, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And Jesus answered them and says, well, you've answered correctly. You're right about that. Did he make the connection? I'm not sure that he did, but Jesus certainly vindicates the woman and he teaches Simon an important lesson. Look at verses 44 through 47. Turning toward the woman, Simon said, well, the one who got the biggest debt canceled, that's the one. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? loves little and he said to her your sins have been forgiven pretty incredible statement makes you wonder what was going through the mind of of simon while he's telling him all the things because he's saying you didn't do any of these which were common courtesies this woman has done all of these things because she feels as though there is something that is old here she feels that there is something that she should be grateful of and so she gives an extravagant demonstration in all humility and love by what she has done for jesus in terms of serving her look at those words again he who is forgiven little feels or feels that they have little to be forgiven of loves little but he who is forgiven much loves much. So that's the story. That's it. So what's the takeaway? What are the lessons that we can learn here? Well, I think there are a couple. Number one would be this. Takeaway number one, everyone is in debt. Every one of us is a debtor. Romans, the third chapter in verse 23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that we are are debtors. And if you were to pile up all our sins and say, place them in this room here, you probably wouldn't have enough room in the room to pile up all of our sins that are there. So our sins really are, are many. Even those of you who are pretty just like innocent kind of people from the world's view probably have your debts. In fact, it's probably important that we at least remember how much debt we really do, do owe. It serves as well because most of us understand what it means to be in debt. Some of us have bills. Maybe we're paying for a house, or we're paying for a car, or a refrigerator, or, or maybe some some uh, well, a lot of different things. You know, we can find ourselves in a lot of debt there. And if we don't pay our debts, then we're going to be in trouble pretty quickly, aren't we? Well, the same way when you talk about our spiritual life, Simon, he has a poor memory. If you were to ask simon who do you think you are he would say i'm a pharisee i give ties to the poor i give ties to everything i pray beautiful prayers i know the law inside and out i can quote to you the first five books of the of the old testament perfectly god's a really lucky guy to have me on his side he's fortunate to have me one of the good guys on his side he's forgotten what kind of sin and what kind of debt is in his life his sin probably would be the sin of possibly the heart where he doesn't recognize his indebtedness and so maybe he saw himself as one of god's religious heroes he forgot he was a sinner and that's so easy for us to do isn't it it's so easy for us after we've walked into faith a while to think as though you know we're not all that bad you know, if I'd use words like uh, atonement or regeneration, those things probably just wouldn't have over your head. But when I say to you that you are a debtor, then that we understand what that that means. And we understand that we are all in debt, that we're in debt to God for, because of what he has done for for us. So takeaway number one is that I just think we need to remind ourselves from time to time that we are debtors and that there's a lot of debt that is there and that they, that, that that should cause us to, Offer up extravagant love to uh, Jesus and maybe even to his church. Takeaway number two, we can never repay all those debts. It's an absolute impossibility. If you were to work 20 hours every day for the next 50 years, you'll never be able to pay all the debts. But we can, like this woman, express our, our thanks. And though we can never pay God back for what he has done in giving us his son Jesus or Jesus for dying on that cross for us, we can, you know, roll up our sleeves and go to work. We can worship. We can uh, pray. We can reach out and seek out those who are lost. Those are the things that Jesus has asked us to do if we're to be followers of, of his. So takeaway number two. We can never repay back those debts, but we can out of our love express our gratitude by offering our lives up as holy and spiritual sacrifices to a Takeaway number three, forgiveness is available for everyone. Just as it was available to this woman who had this notorious reputation, it's available to us as well. I don't care who you are or what you have done, the offer has been made to each and every one of us. And so it's never too late for any of us to repent. And to turn back to Jesus uh, from our sins. And the woman in our story is a a great example of that. You can look at others. You can look at 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, verses 9 down through 11. There he says, Neither fornicators or adulterers or homosexual or effeminate or adulterers shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And such were some of you, but you have been washed, you have been sanctified, you have been made clean. By the blood of Jesus, what he is saying, he says, we get a reset. We get to start over that God's grace can run that deep for those who are penitent of their sins. And so the good news is that forgiveness is available to everyone. But forgiveness is not free. It costs someone. And so that's takeaway number four. Forgiveness is not free. Forgiveness always costs something. For the money lender, it cost him 550 denarii to forgive those two men who were indebted to him. It cost their freedom something. It's uh, a small amount when you compare it to the debts that we're talking about, spiritually speaking. Forgiveness is not free. When God said, I forgive you of your sins, then it cost God something. Before forgiveness, there had to be a Gethsemane where God had to ignore the prayer of Jesus. If there could be anyone else that could taste of this cup, let him do so, but not my will, you'll be, your will be done. Three times, three times God said, no, you're, you're it. Before forgiveness, there had to be a death on the cross of Jesus for the sins of the, the world that Steve so aptly shared with us during the Lord's Supper. And then, of course, the resurrection. Jesus had to pay Uh, the price. The ledger had to be cleared by someone, and the way that ledger was cleared was Jesus Christ died on the cross and bore the sins of the many, your sins and my sins, and because of that, we're allowed to enter into God's kingdom and have our names written in the Lamb's book of life and have all the promises of heaven before us. I tell you, Jesus said, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. And so as you think about your, your life, how much have you been forgiven? And that, does that equal how much love you show uh, to Jesus and to, to God? Surprising heroes. People that you would not think as being heroes or stacking up to being heroes, you find out, in God's eyes, that's exactly who they are. Have I stretched you too much by saying that this woman was a hero? Maybe to some of you, but not to me. Was she courageous? I think it's pretty courageous to go into a house where you know that you're not wanted. Was it an achievement? I don't know if it's an achievement. Was it a quality that was extraordinary? I have no doubts about that. To me, she's a hero, an incredible woman. Whenever I think about God's love for us, and I think about what God's word says here, I want you to know that God's not against you in any way. His word is not against you. It's for you in every way. Because God wants more than anything in the world for you to be saved and to go to heaven. And to double down on that, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross For your your sins. So the price has been paid and the invitation has been made. You're invited to come while together we stand and while we sing.